0: on your door friend.
1: How's it going? Welcome to Tell You What, podcast. This is episode number 30. How about that? <laughs> and our guest on this episode is musician-songwriter Katie Kirby. So, I had recorded this introduction the other day, put it together with the whole episode, and, as I usually do, submitted it to our executive producer and spiritual advisor for the pre-publication listen-through. And she had some thoughts. And in fact, she's here with me in the studio right now. I don't know if she's going to That's there. true. Yes. We, true story. Heard, we heard her voice. True story. She said, you know what? The introduction was great, but it sounded kind of impersonal. It sounded like you were reading a script. And I said, what? Script? Me? So in the interest of heeding the lessons, I have learned over and over again over many years, my spiritual advisor and executive producer is always right. We're doing it again, right? Right. Okay. So we're winging it. Katie Kirby and her music. As I've talked about before, I don't really like to categorize music or say that I like this kind of music or that kind of music because it kind of implies the contra, that there are kind of categories of music that I don't like, right? So the last couple of episodes we've had, have happened to feature male songwriters with guitars. They could be described as maybe being in that Americana style. They're awesome, but in an effort to kind of expand my horizons a little bit, I was bouncing around the internet and the Spotify looking for new sounds. And I came across a song, I think it was Cool Dry Place by Katie Kirby, and it really caught my ear. And I listened to a couple more of her songs that she had released in advance of what is her recently released debut record, and they really uh, got my attention. So what was it? Was it the catchy, melodic hooks, the Katy Perry kind of vibe? Or was it the thoughtful, witty kind of slightly askew lyrics that caught my ear and made me think twice. Turns out it was both. That, that was kind of the magic combination that drew me into her music. So in our discussion with Katie, we hear about her homeschooled Christian upbringing. Uh, how most of the music she heard was uh, Christian contemporary pop rock with its sugary, hooky melodies. But it also became clear in the discussion that Katie is very bright. She's very, uh, a well-read English major expresses herself very thoughtfully and carefully. So you get a sense from our discussion of how this musical blend comes together. In the case of this album, Katie talks about how her two co-producers wrapped it all in kind of surprising, complex arrangements and productions. And I think it's just uh, really wonderful. So give this record Cool Dry Place a full spin. I think you will find surprises around every corner. How we doing so far? So pretty good. All right, she says pretty good. So a bit of marketing. Haven't done that in a while. So here we go. If you like what you hear on the podcast, and frankly, who wouldn't, right, Suze?
0: Nobody in this room.
1: Exactly. So maybe take a minute to spread the word. The point is to get the music of these young artists in front of some people that maybe wouldn't find out about it otherwise. So pass a link along to music-loving friend. Post it on your medias. Give us a follow, or a rating, or a review positive review on Spotify or iTunes. Anything you can do to help us spread this music around. Thank you very much. Quick shout out to Holly Cartwright at another management company. Your assistance is greatly appreciated in putting this together. And let's get to it. Here is our Tell You What discussion with Katie Kirby. And I- Katie Kirby welcome to tell you what the podcast thanks for taking the time to meet with us today yeah for sure your album cool dry place out now for a few weeks I think it is excellent Um, it's gotten a great reception this must feel pretty good
2: yeah it uh thank you um it it does (laughs) feel good uh it feels sort of weird because um like like I'm talking to you right now sort of over the internet I haven't um, done any of the press or anything like that in person Uh, right so it it doesn't feel like real life entirely um, but it has been cool
1: (laughs) great okay so we're gonna go back in time for a minute you are a relatively young artist Mm -hmm. early in your career I'd like to start even earlier in your life, if we can. You had maybe a non-typical path to where you are today as a musician. So can you tell us about your early life, maybe in terms of what music you were exposed to and how those years and influences are present in what you're creating uh, now? You grew up in Texas, correct? Mm -hmm. I grew up
2: uh, outside of Austin, um, mostly. The only music I was exposed to Regularly was um, worship music and then like my dad loves musicals and like barbershop quartets. So um, very, very, very little like popular music or even like secular radio um, was in my ears um, until I was maybe like 11 or 12. so yeah, so so that's all kind of baked in there, I guess. Like I, I can you
1: can, I'm sorry, can you tell us what, what when you talk about worship music? Yeah. maybe you can define that a little bit. Oh
2: the, yeah, that's fair. The worship music that I would have been raised on wasn't um, like hymns or uh, particularly like traditional music about Jesus, but w- sort of more contemporary pop music that sort of, it's called CCM, so Christian Contemporary Music, which is, like, very much a genre unto itself in a lot of ways, but is essentially, like, very soft rock about Jesus. And then it has, like, some other conventions baked in there, but, like, especially in the 90s and early 2000s, when that was sort of emerging even more as an industry or as a subgenre, That that's kind of the stuff that I would have grown up on.
1: So this was playing in your house?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. And then in your teen years, you started finding your way to hearing other kinds of music.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, And and weirdly enough, one of the ways that I found my way to other music was um, through hanging out with older people who also played in our church's worship band with me. Um, Okay. So I could kind of play bass as like a 13-year-old girl. And so I was asked to play on our church's worship team, even though I I was not good. um, (laughs) Because the standards are like different or lower, kind of, because, you know, like musical excellence isn't necessarily the goal. So that's one way I started like hanging out in bands for the first time or hanging out in a band-like format. And, and the, the you know, like 40s and 30-year-old guitar players or singer or whoever in the band were people who, like, loved whatever, Peter Gabriel or Led Zeppelin or The Strokes even. And so um, that was weirdly a place that I learned about bands Interesting. that weren't uh christian for the first time
1: yeah so was the bass your first instrument
2: um no uh i took piano lessons from the time i was four to like 10 and then i switched to guitar and then i was a a terrible guitar player but um a passable
1: bassist so you were no longer a terrible guitar player I can tell you that.
2: I am, uh, yes, I am a mediocre guitar player now, for sure.
1: (laughs) And you, so singing was always a part of that, I assume, from a young age also at at church.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, that was, that was something I always knew I, like, could do. Um, my dad being, being a barbershop fan, and I think he sang in a barbershop choir for a while, actually, um, like, sort of just, like, taught me how to harmonize, like, real young, and then, um sort of, like, again, in church, like, singing in a big crowd of people uh, every Sunday, like, I would, I would be standing next to him, and, like, he would, for for some reason, like, his, his move in worship services, and and this is fine, is, like, he would just kind of, like, harmonize with whatever melody was being sung, um, like, that was just his instinct for some reason, and so I I would listen to him do that, and then, like, kind of learn to, to, fit another harmony in around whatever he was singing or whatever like the church band was singing so um. and and because I was in an enormous crowd of people no one could really hear me so it was fine
1: so do you see the influences of this of the music you were listening to when you were younger this worship music genre in your creative work now
2: yeah I mean I didn't want to for a very long time obviously it felt really corny and um, there's a lot of conventions of the genre that kind of are just embarrassingly cheesy at times to be completely honest but uh-huh. um, I have sort of accepted recently that there is like that that is sort of like my core musical impulse it, was, it has all been informed by by that subgenre um, and I like i i will continue to fight it obviously like i don't uh i don't feel particularly loyal to it but um the the main thing that i can i think confidently say is that um the way that melodies are constructed in those songs um or tend uh-huh. to be um are very are are meant to be as accessible as humanly possible right so that any lay person or any congregant can engage with that song and therefore engage with God uh, like as quickly and as easily as possible and so that the music can hypothetically sort of get out of the way. Right. So I I don't feel like I struggle with writing fairly accessible melodies or... um,
1: Are we talking about hooks here?
2: I, I get, yes, yes, but they have to be a hook that's also easy to sing you know what okay. I mean? So, like, it it is definitely a hook, but there's, like, another layer to it of... It's, like, a hook, but almost dumbed down a little bit. Not to be, like, disparaging, but...
1: That might be the best kind of hook.
2: It It, it is, yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, and then in high school, I think I discovered Coldplay, which definitely, I mean, definitely sort of developed my taste for um, pleasurably dumb hooks. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> So I think if, if I had to say anything, I would say like Dumb Hooks is baked in there. Okay. Probably.
1: <laughs> so when did you start writing your own songs?
2: That's a great question. I have always said I started writing songs when I was like 15 or 16. Um, but that's not really true. I uh, That was when I first wrote a song that I liked and that I showed anybody okay other than my mom so uh, but I, I found like a recording of like myself at seven or something where like I was singing some weird little song I, re- I made up um and the reason I think I would have done that is because my m- mother for some reason like around like 2005 to 2007 just like sort of started writing a bunch of songs, sort of about Jesus, to be completely honest, like as part of her own spiritual practice, sort of out of nowhere. Um,
1: Yeah, she hadn't been a songwriter or anything like that before. No, yeah,
2: not at all. Like she can sing, okay, but she can't, she can't play anything. Um, And like she would, you know, she would sometimes like write poems and like she sort of has like an artsy spirit generally, but um, she'd never done anything like that before. Uh, And she, she just started writing like a bunch of songs, um, and and again, sort of in that CCM tradition was what what they sounded like mostly. So I, that is like a really weird footnote in this whole story, but it it's surely.
1: It was your first model for that, maybe. Yeah,
2: no, absolutely, and and like she she also like appreciated like people who are really good songwriters. Still, I think like within the CCM genre, like uh amy grant is one like sure nobody can who who can say anything against amy grant she's great she's good at her job um so i so i think that was probably my first like i don't know like one can just write songs like that's allowed um yes which i'm I'm sure was very powerful for a little tiny person
1: so eventually you left texas to go to nashville was this for college Mm -hmm. yeah So was choosing Nashville for college kind of saying, I'm going to write songs and I want people to hear them and this is what I want to do?
2: Yes, but like very tentatively. That that sentence for sure, but just in a very frightened and anxious tone. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I I enrolled at Belmont University, which has like a rather robust like music business program and, and music program. I did enroll as a songwriting major. I got into that school, which felt really cool at the time. Um, I was a songwriting major for like a single semester. Kind of didn't feel like it was the place for me. I didn't think I was quite good enough, to be completely honest. Like The people that were really good in that program were so like wildly intimidating. Hmm. And then, but, but, like, the classes and the the way that songwriting was being taught wasn't super appealing to me and didn't feel like it would necessarily result in me being a better writer. Perhaps. You mean like
1: just the academic approach in general to it?
2: yeah. well, yes. and and also, like the 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 faculty of that program at Belmont is is predominantly, though not exclusively people who have written out of sort of the co- commercial pop country world right. that that tends to revolve around Nashville right so and all of those people are very good at their job and obviously but I, it, it didn't seem like that's what I wanted to do so I I switched to the English program and then I just I, I graduated with an English degree and like okay. a minor in bu- music business on accident which I remember right. literally none of so
1: so, in listening to some of your songs, I want to ask you about this. Is there a sense in which you're, say, maybe you could say more sheltered childhood, the Mm. the kind of intense religious atmosphere you grew up in, you were homeschooled, right? Yeah. Was was music, did that maybe kind of push you towards music and songwriting as an outlet for dealing with some of these things?
2: So this is a weird question, because I always have struggled with... um, I've always been like a little prone to roll my eyes at people um, when they say like music saved my life or whatever which is impolite of me and heartless um, but I never th- allowed myself to think of music that way um, for some reason but I I like looking back I kind of I kind of think it did a little bit like uh, I, I think that... I was able to retain some sort of sense of individuality or something or or just like the sense that like the world that I lived in was not the only world, um, mostly through music. And and so, yeah, haven't really thought about that one all that much because yeah. I kind of just figured it out. But um <laughs> For sure, like listening to the White Stripes or Barcade Fire or whatever the hell, surely saved my sanity. I don't know what part of my sanity and I don't know what from, but that is the sense that I get um, looking back.
1: Maybe not your life, but your sanity.
2: Yeah, and, and I, <laughs> I really don't know what from, like I, I'm not sure, but yeah, um, yeah. yeah.
1: Okay, let's talk about your creative process a bit, if we can. Mm -hmm. Your lyrics are so great. There's so many, like, one or two liners that grab the ear, small things you observe poetically. Are you collecting these as you go along, like writing them down or voice-memoing them as you do other things Mm -hmm. to use later? Or are you kind of sitting down at a desk or with a guitar and coming up with whole verses or chorus from scratch?
2: I... Am a pretty big like collector of of scraps. So there's 500 odd, you know, one line notes in my phone for sure. And mm-hmm. and even in high school, I think I did the same thing, but in a notebook. Um, so I do I do usually start with just like a, a piece of something that I I had saved, um, and then sort of grow that into um, a longer. Verse or chorus or whatever
1: so would one of those lines maybe become the germ for an entire song are you kind of collecting them and piecing things together that makes sense
2: yeah so tip yeah so typically yeah it's like one one is the the seed or the germ for an entire song um that's not entirely that's not always true like right. but nine times out of ten that's that's how it goes down
1: so are you sitting with a guitar when you sit down to put something together? Um, are the melodies there at the beginning? Or uh, I know there's probably not one process, but generally speaking, are there ways these are coming together?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, for all of the songs on Cool Dry Place, I think it was uh, a fair amount of ha- having a line and then like sort of pulling a melody out of it while, while holding on to a guitar. And then it would kind of unfold from there, I guess. So, but but never like a super duper musical process, to be completely honest. Like I don't, I've never written a melody and then put words on it. Um, Now I've been mostly just writing words down and then kind of figuring a melody out for it later. Like that that for some reason has been more efficient for me lately, but
1: um, Uh yeah. And are sometimes the songs coming quickly kind of as a whole thing versus other songs being pieced together over long periods of time?
2: Very rarely. Um, but uh, like Juniper, I think, was... Yeah, it came out in like an hour and a half yeah. or something. Um, yeah, the rest of them are 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 pieced together over, honestly, like months sometimes. Like I just I finished a song a couple of months ago that I had been writing since like March of last year. So,
1: yeah. Okay, so that leads me to a question. The songs on this record have been around for quite a while, Mm -hmm. the way I understand it. Mm -hmm. Some were released in earlier versions, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm interested to hear how you think about the songwriting process over time. So you wrote a song, you played it live, you recorded it, now after that some time passes you go back into the studio and add new arrangements maybe new instruments new production so do you think of the creative process as just for like an individual song as being just extended over one long process that the song is kind of seeking its ultimate final form maybe or are there different versions of the song each okay kind of having its own little lifespan?
2: yeah i want to say both uh okay. i would lean towards the second yeah weirdly my mom told me this like when, whenever she was like discovering writing songs for herself for the first time she said that like part of whatever part of the reason she found it like such a exciting like medium or whatever um was because there isn't entirely like an end like you can't ever completely finish a song like there's no you can always alter it you can always sing it differently like a painting has to remain static or whatever i think she said but um you can change songs as much as you want for as long as you want and yeah yeah and, and they are really flexible that way and and i think that is really appealing to me um and something that doesn't seem as readily available in like even other written forms. You know what I mean? Like right. poets aren't really allowed to do that, even if they do privately. Um, doesn't seem like that's a thing that they're usually up to. And yeah, I think I, I think it's lovely and and weird and one of the few perks of the medium. Yeah,
1: one of the one of the mysteries of it yeah. too. I think. Um so when you were starting to write songs, starting to perform them,
0: mm-hmm.
1: did you have any hesitations or mixed feelings about writing and singing about personal issues or songs that came from personal places?
2: Yeah. And to be honest, I kind of still do. Um yeah. like I don't I I don't like coming across like a like a particularly like confessional songwriter particularly diaristic songwriter because a i don't think that i am most of the time um Mm -hmm. and like i don't love hyper confessional music for the most part um or or that uh, not always like that's not what um floats my boat to be honest Um, okay
1: so your hesitation is not because you're putting yourself out there but just because you've chosen artistically not to do that necessarily
2: yeah well I mean I both and I I am a coward about putting myself out there and especially when I was younger and probably some of the stuff I was grappling with was like God and I I couldn't really deal with that publicly for fear of like upsetting my parents not like not angering them but just like an awkward conversation or something Uh,
0: right
2: or like I think the very first song that I wrote that I showed to anyone was like definitely Pretty transparently, honestly, about this one boy. Um, <laughs> and so, like, I think I wrote that, like, a little bit too clearly, and, like, he could tell. And I, th- that was just, like, mortifying enough that I was like, I'm going to write songs where no one can, like, corner me with what it's about. <laughs> um, because I don't wanna. And also, that doesn't feel like the point of songs either to like know what they're about
1: right uh yes again the mystery
2: the mystery man yeah
1: (laughs) okay let's talk about your record cool dry place Mm -hmm. i have really enjoyed spending time with it i find the arrangements are beautiful and fascinating sometimes the instrumentation i love the drum sounds here the brushes Mm. particularly i think are sound so cool um and the way a number of the songs progress from like simple to complex and maybe sometimes back again And there are some risks taken here with the arrangements. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some interesting choices. Would you agree with that?
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
1: So what was that process like in terms of coming up with their... How did you put yourself in the place to make some of these interesting choices production-wise?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, the most interesting choices production-wise would almost all be something that originated in... Um, Alberto Seawald or Logan Chung, who are the two co-producers, um, or, or, you know, even someone who was playing on the record. Um, a lot of the way that this record sounds is because of the two of them. So, and, and I mean, especially Logan, to be honest, was around when I started demoing these songs. Okay. And so kind of really helped me reimagine what they could sound like. Um just because I like I'd never produced anything. I I wasn't a very good like arranger. I'm still not, to be honest. Um Yeah, so most of I can't take credit for like ninety percent of the interesting choices on the record, to be honest. <laughs>
1: I'm sure you were part of the decision making process.
2: Sure, totally. Well, but honestly, there were a fair amount of times where like I would just kind of let the two of them like finesse something out and I I really would like not totally understand what they were going for, but they would have clicked somehow and would pursue an idea and I just sort yeah. of watched and usually it was great. <laughs>
1: so well, I I think it worked out very well. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about some of its songs in particular. I wish we could talk about each of them because they're all so interesting mm-hmm. in their own way. But first, let's talk about uh, Secret Language. Sure. Okay. We talked earlier about the influence of your religious upbringing on your creative um, mm-hmm. self. I find this song interesting because uh, we talked earlier about modern worship music and some of its styles, mm-hmm. right? So as I understand it, one of the styles is that the lyrics in a lot of these songs could be about God or Jesus or could be interpreted as just a regular love song, right? It's not really sure. explicitly
2: The Suvian Stevens effect as we
1: Right. Say. Okay. <laughs> so in this song, I, I it kind of reminded me of that cuz the, the listener could take the lyrics to be about several things. A relationship, maybe your artistic path, mm-hmm. but maybe you can talk about what the themes you were pursuing here when you wrote this.
2: Totally. I mean like 100 million percent it is a song about God. Like I, uh, okay. I definitely was being cagey about that when I wrote it, and I, I didn't want to be too obvious with it. But it seems like people picked up on that anyway. Um, yes. So, uh, <laughs> so I didn't really fool anyone. Um, yeah, I, I would have written that. That that's the oldest song on the record. I would have written it around the time I was like really, genuinely um, beginning to like. Let go of uh, the the God or the Jesus or whatever that I had internalized um, for so long, and, and like that's a very bizarre and painful process um, for for pretty much anybody who's post evangelical or, or post religious generally, um, right. d- depending on a few factors. But um, that one, yeah, I mean that 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 one's a breakup song with Jesus, as I have called yeah. it before, <laughs> and yeah. I heard you were the chosen one, they
0: burned you, you had enough, I heard you were the chosen one, I got you gone. Traffic. Mm -hmm.
1: This is another song with really great, fascinating arrangements. The progression, like I mentioned, from simple to complex, the choir sound that enters later in the song, it's wonderful. So, we talked about interesting choices earlier. Certainly, an interesting choice here with the auto tune vocals, right? Mm -hmm. I think it works really well and kind of sonically. I think it works with the traffic metaphor, Mm -hmm. which I think I found interesting. So, can you talk about this decision to include the autotune? Was this tricky, or did it was it just what sounded best?
2: I can't lay claim to most of the interesting choices. I can lay claim to that interesting choice because um, right. most of the time because I, I had to like not I had to argue for it uh, on a handful of occasions. Um, the reason that it showed up in the first place was because I was demoing that song with Logan. Um, I was working like a full-time job where I just talked on the phone all the time, a call center functionally. um, Right. And so my voice was like pretty brutalized most of the time. um, And I was hoarse fairly regularly. um, And I like, I had a cold that week for some reason, because it was like the dead of winter. So I, I sang that song um, for that demo and my voice sounded so awful and like, out of tune the entire time that it was legitimately distracting me from like engaging with the rest of the song Um, right and so i asked logan to just like put the whatever i think we were using logic so i he just like threw on an auto-tune filter over it just so that my own pitchiness wouldn't be distracting to me um and it just stayed in there like while we demoed out the rest of it, um, and I really liked it and got kind of attached to it, um, and, and so it, it felt really compatible with the tone of the song as I was imagining it. Um, it, it fortunately it stayed in, and I did kind of dig my heels in about it because some, a, couple, yeah. a, a couple of people we showed it to were like, I that is not for me, dude, um, <laughs> but.
1: So So, let me ask you, did you then go back and and re-record your vocals with the thought and kind of change your delivery maybe with with the auto-tune in mind?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Kind of, I think so. Um, We did re-record it. We knew at at the point that I did the the final vocals on it that we would sort of like bring auto-tune in and out. Like, okay. so it's it's not in there the entire time, um, uh, it kind it kind of like rears its head on certain lines more than others, and then it's dry in a few places. But yeah, I think I wanted to sort of dial it in. If I'm remembering correctly, I was just like, we can just auto tune it; it'll be awesome. I don't have to sing this very hard song that I wrote, that I struggled to sing. <laughs> Yeah so yes and no. That that wasn't a very <laughs> that story didn't really have a point to it, but um, <laughs> yeah.
1: Well if you if you were to peruse the the list of guests I've had on this podcast, you'd probably not be surprised that this is the first auto-tune discussion I have had. Mm. So I wanna I wanna thank you for bringing that to this podcast. Of course. So we've 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 now checked that box.
0: <laughs> I can't deny that I've had it. It's just a sweet little So fundamentally toxic You know what you're fighting There's so much we can't hold Oh you know you're just a little I remember everything you said All about how it is Just the way that it is But I think of what you really meant To say is baby I don't know if I can Stop this. Oh, I can't stop this It's high time That's right
1: talked about live performance yet i'd like to do that um hopefully we'll all be talking about live performance sometime soon god willing um so what do you think makes for a good live show what is it that you're trying to do out there
2: the most compelling live performances that i've seen are between bands usually right um like Big Thief is sort of an obvious one, but um, witnessing them perform live is very moving because they are so aligned with each other. And and so, I don't know, they're they're just so functional as a unit um, that that's just really special to watch. And yeah, and, and, and I'm not personally like, that charismatic as a performer. Like, I can kind of fake my way through, like, uh, a set where I just have a guitar and my, my voice. I can usually pull that off, but it's way more fun um, for me to have people to sort of bounce off of and interact with, and especially since covid where i haven't really been able to play live with anybody um right. just that sort of like borderline erotic connection but of like yes. knowing where someone is going to go or like being able to exchange a look and and change up the feel or something is so very profound <laughs> and and yeah. that feels so corny to say, but especially since I have been deprived of it for so long. Like that's such a
1: It's become the fantasy.
2: Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, we're all looking forward to to enacting that one, I think.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Let's talk about the song Cool Dry Place. We talked about hooks earlier. The chorus on this song I think is my favorite in terms of the hook category. Mm-hmm. Um, did this, is that where the song started? That great repetition, that keep me, keep me line?
2: Yeah, no, I, I really think it did. Um, and it very well, it very easily could not have been. Um, I think I was working on that. I don't know, I must, I must have just written the words Cool Dry do Place down. Um, I finished that chorus, like literally as it is right now. And I walked into my roommate's room. Um, her name's Kel Taylor, she's also a songwriter, and I was like, is this good at all? I can't tell. And she and another friend of ours, Mal, were like, no, that's very, very good. You have to finish that. And I was like, are you sure? And they were like, yes, for real. And I was like, what about the, like, head on your shoulder line? That feels weird to me. And they were like, no, that's, that works. Why, yeah, why would you not do that? And I was like, okay, fine. Um, so I finished the song. Um. And I'm glad I did. I really like the verses on that song, the most, to be honest. Yeah. But um, of of most of the things that have written on this record, um, but yeah, so that just kind of came out. I didn't think it was very good, and then somebody told me it was good. I had no choice but to believe <laughs> to believe them.
0: Ten segments in. A-
1: last part of the song another kind of interesting musical decision here the song goes from this kind of gentle poppy sway if you will it's mm-hmm. a technical term i think into yes. <laughs> like a, a a big wall of sound right that kind of then disintegrates in this beautiful way it kind of put me in the mind of the beatles uh, day in the life song the way that sure. ends
0: yeah.
1: and we end up here with a five minute song so it's an interesting production mm-hmm. and is this sound at the end this is where I probably go too deep is this maybe your relationship anxiety building that we're hearing here
2: it definitely yeah I mean it has to be like it was certainly not something I could articulate while we were making that song but it it felt very it wouldn't have felt appropriate I think for that song to end neatly you know what I mean right Um, and we didn't really know how to end it for a while, but um, again, Logan, while we were demoing it, um, who loves the Beatles more than anybody in the world loves the Beatles, okay. God bless him, <laughs> so good ear there, uh, sort of like came up with, like sort of went away with the song and then came back and was like, what if we did this? And, and it had... Um, Sort of like almost a noise part at the end, and it felt really right for some reason. And I, he, sh- he was showing it to me while we were in his car driving somewhere, and I cried. I remember, because um, yeah. it felt really right. And and so,
1: I mean, it's one thing to have that idea, and it's another thing to be able to pull it off right so beautifully.
2: Well, yeah. So it definitely wasn't pulled off very at nearly as beautifully in the demo. But um, so yeah. So I mean, like traffic and the end of Cool Dry Place were definitely like the two parts of the record that we spent like a, a completely disproportional amount of time on.
1: You so, know, when you go back and think of the Beatles or the Beach Boys or someone like that, that put this kind of sound together, they would spend weeks on like this little part.
2: Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm, I'm sure that like Logan and, and Alberto's love of, of the Beatles uh, and, and, and others like definitely gave them the tolerance for working on those parts because they really did like they took so long. And I mean, like even uh, the the end of Cool Dry Place, there's like a sw- there's like this weird like swirly um, thing happening like over it, especially That's at the technical, end of- term. yeah, a, sw- a swirly thing. I wish I had. I always wish I had them in interviews because I never know what I'm talking about, but. Um, <laughs> Like that. That didn't even really come up until the mix engineer, um, Bennett Littlejohn. I don't know how this came about, but he was like, "What if you just like took the, in, like the entire song, and he like compressed it, and then swir- I don't know what it, basically I don't know what the swirly is, but I know it's like." literally
1: it's got the song in it it has
2: literally the entire song in it and it's like distorted somehow so like that's the sound that's being manipulated into that swirly part is all that i know
1: that's pretty cool
2: yeah so they 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 just went wild and i said sure yes definitely want a noise part y'all y'all figure it out
1: Talk about the opening track, Eyelids. Mm -hmm. Very lo-fi recording. Definitely not verse chorus bridge type of song. Less than two minutes long. Mm -hmm. Really cool. We talked a little bit earlier about what the nature of a song is, what the essence of a song is. So Mm -hmm. here you decided that this was a song, right? And in Mm -hmm. fact, it leads the album. So can you talk about how you came to include this?
2: Yeah. I think that song was something that i got the i got that like first verse of it or the first i I mean half i guess i got the first half of it while uh while i was living like in far far east nashville and i was living alone um and and that kind of came out in one piece um sort of with the, the melody and everything on it and i I thought it was great. I was like gr- amazing. I like these words are awesome. I'm a genius. Yep. But I <laughs> was like there's I was like there ha- like there has to be more to this song. Like like I like this verse so much and I like the thought that I'm sort of able to to hint at here enough that like this has got to be like a really big song. Like I have to sort of make good on this the promise of this like seed or this like whatever little verse i have um and so i had intended it to be like a very big and a very like impressive song because i i was so excited about that first part um but i i like just couldn't find any chorus of any kind that felt like it could match the way that those verses felt. Um, and so I, I like I finally like scraped up a, a second verse that I was happy with and I took it to a friend of mine named Rusty Clanton and I was like you have a good ear for stuff like this, like you're not going to get in your head like tell me what to do, like tell me where the chorus is for this song, like what the hell do I do? Um, and he like was quiet for a couple of minutes and then told me that maybe uh, suggested that maybe like it was done as it hmm. is um be, like and and that maybe like i i was expressing like sort of a com- a, a complete thought and that's why the the chorus was eluding me um yeah and so i was like huh maybe <laughs> Yeah. Yeah.
1: And eventually you landed on the fact that it was indeed a song unto itself.
2: Yeah, I mean I like I guess I like I I, I mean I definitely believe in the like songs are never finished so maybe there is a chorus that exists out there that like <laughs> is perfect for that song and it's and it's a it's a bigger song than I think it is but Yeah, I I do kind of struggle to think of like how I would build out the rest of that song without going somewhere that felt like a little too obvious or a little too like self-consciously esoteric or something i don't know i have no idea how to finish it if someone has a great idea please (laughs) hit me up or just write it yourself you can have it yeah (laughs) (laughs) i take the car
0: around the If I was your man If I was your man
1: uh-huh. <laughs> Well, I, I tell you, I, I'm t- getting a theme here. You, see, One of your gifts seems to be the ability to ask and receive advice from others or take the input of others and process that. And, and I, I think some people struggle with that, but it seems like you have... Worked with other people very um, effectively on on some of this stuff.
2: Yeah, totally. And I mean, I the songwriters that I do know, like, they're they're people that I turn to when like my gut doesn't feel like I I can't trust it. Like I can't tell, sort of innately, if something is good or not. Um, I usually take it to to someone like Kel or or Rusty, um, partially because both of those people are sort of more pop-oriented than I am, even. Okay. Um, so I sort of know that, like, if I can write something that makes them happy as well as, like, like what, a couple of other friends who are lean more, who don't really engage with pop music in the same way or don't write songs that feel like pop music, um, if I can write something that both of those parties are excited about, usually I feel pretty confident that I'm doing what I want to do,
1: um, you know. What I I'll mean? tell you that that's where to me that's exactly where this whole album lands. It's a remarkable, sweet blend of kind of I don't know if the right word is intellectual kind of songwriting with
2: mm-hmm.
1: the attractive sounds of of the pop hooks, and I, I think it's remarkable the way you pulled this off.
2: Thanks. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, <laughs> that's all I ever wanted to <laughs> do. I'm glad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so. Over the last year, these songs are already done. Were you able to do much writing during quarantine? I'm getting different answers when I ask songwriters that question.
2: Yes, and kind of. Um, yeah. I was able to, like, throughout the first, like, three or two or three months of quarantine, I... Um, When it really, really felt like the world had just stopped, um, especially, I was, like, honestly, for the first time in my life, very good about writing every day in, like, sort of structured way, which I'm traditionally terrible at. Um, Right. I wrote exactly, well, I, I finished exactly four songs throughout the entirety of 2020. And all four of them began to take shape somewhere in that first month of yeah. quarantine when I was writing every day. Um, which means, I don't know, probably I should do that more. But am I gonna? Well, I don't
1: know. <laughs> the function of your process or maybe a function of how quarantine dragged on and, mm-hmm. and changed your way of approaching these things or your ability to generate things
2: well i mean to be completely honest like i think i average about a song every three months since okay. i've been writing songs so i don't write very quickly um which i don't which i don't think is entirely healthy but I, i'm getting away with so far but yeah
1: and now you're looking forward to getting out on the road and playing these songs and the new songs i imagine sometime yes relatively yes soon ish
2: yeah, it's
1: great. Well, I think I've taken up enough of your time today, Katie. Yeah. Um, this has been a great discussion. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, and we are all looking forward to seeing you and everyone else out on the road sometime <laughs> soon, do. right?
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: All right. Thanks, Katie. Thanks,
2: Mike. Have a good day.
0: If we feel poor, will we be strong?